just wanted to uh, just wanted to quickly uh, remind you of uh, June coming really quickly here in just a, a week will be the first Sunday in June and uh, <clears throat> as we've been announcing there there's a focus that we're going to have on missions throughout the, the month of June and uh, on the 5th the first Sunday of June it is graduation Sunday next Sunday and we have uh, our five graduates that we'll be honoring but uh, the 5th will also be taking a, a special offering, an over and above offering um, for World Partners, uh, the missions organization of the missionary church. And uh, these monies are intended for those ministries that don't fall under uh, the support that we give to, to individual missionaries. And so there's uh, new outreaches, new programs that are uh, happening. And so uh, it's a Pentecost offering. Next Sunday is, is Pentecost Sunday, uh, celebrating or rec- remembering that time when God uh, poured his Holy Spirit out on us. And uh, then on the 12th, um, we're going to have a representative uh, from Forgotten Children and just uh, come and just give a real brief update on their ministry and some ways that we can be involved there. Uh, Then the next two Sundays, we have two of the missionaries that we support, uh, the Stukes and the Hubleys, will be here respectively those two weeks. And so I'm just looking forward to that time together that uh, we share celebrating uh, outreach and uh, the opportunity that God gives us around the world. Uh, just a quick note that uh, I wanted to read, and this comes from uh, Pam and Tony Bennett. Uh, we would like to say thank you for all the cards and flower arrangement during this difficult time. Thank you for all the prayers. I'm thankful to be a part of Murray Church. And of course, uh, Pam lost her brother uh, this past uh, couple of weeks, and just be continuing to pray for uh, that family as they go through this time of loss. We're going to do something very, very familiar this morning, but we're going to do it in a different way. And I'm going to ask you to participate according to the uh, instruction that I give, even if you don't understand it, or even if you don't like it. Okay, can you do that for me this morning? And, and it doesn't hurt, at least real bad, okay? Um, and those things heal, I, do, I know that. Uh, so it, it, it's not a, a major thing, but I'd really, really, really like you. There's a purpose uh, for following the rules this morning. But we're going to do a greeting. We're going to greet one another in the name of the Lord. And uh, as we do that, I want you to be aggressive. I want you to find somebody that uh, maybe you've never met before, one-on-one, or somebody that you don't know really well, and, and just let them know that you care about them. Let them know that uh, you're glad that they're here. And uh, so you might have to move around a little bit, okay, for that. So don't start yet. There's a little more instruction, but just stand, if you will. And when I say go, I want you to greet. But before you do, I want everybody to close your eyes as tightly as you can. Close them tight. Everybody, no peeking. And I want you to leave them closed while you greet one another. Ready? Go. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, everybody stop. Thank you for following directions. We'll talk about that in a second. Go ahead and open your eyes and greet one another this morning. Find your way back to your seats, if you will. 
I believe that one of the things that we've already discovered this morning is that it's very, very, very difficult, if not impossible, to have true fellowship with someone in the dark, or in our case, with our eyes closed. It's hard to, to have relationship, to get to know people, if we can't see them, we can't interact with them, if, if we are living in darkness. And God understands that truth. In fact, he makes it clear to us that true fellowship, especially true fellowship with him, and true fellowship with other believers, can only happen in the light. But of course, this morning, we're not talking about just physical light. If you uh, uh, remember from our discussion last week, that fellowship, according to John, we're, we're in 1 John, fellowship, according to John, and, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is not simply being in the same place at the same time, but it's much more involved than that. True fellowship is the sharing of our lives and, and the sharing of those things for which we're passionate about with another person. And God calls us to that level of fellowship, that level of interaction, not just with each other, the body of Christ, the church, or family, but he calls us to that level of fellowship with himself. So in this context, I'm, I'm going to invite you to look with me at God's instructions to us to have that fellowship, to, to enjoy that level of, of intimacy, that level of closeness with God the Father. I'm going to uh, read a fairly long passage this morning. We're in First uh, John, as I mentioned a moment ago. That's the uh, epistles, the first, second, third John, right at the end of, or really close to the end of the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. We're in First John chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading at verse 5 of that chapter. This is a message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, we walk in the darkness. We lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother and lives in the, lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother 
is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Verses 12 to 14, that section that I just uh, finished up with, is kind of a summary of everything else that, that uh, has been talked about. We're not going to go back to that passage a lot, but I wanted to, to start with that, just a, a quick discussion, because it makes it very, very clear who the Apostle John is talking to, who he's writing to. He's writing to people who understand and accepted the truth of the gospel. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven. This letter is written to believers, and that's an important foundation for us to have in the rest of our discussion, because we're going to talk about the impact of sin. We're going to talk about those things that creep into a life that cause problems, and it's written to you and I. This isn't about those that, that are lost. It's written to you and I. And that's an important foundation that we'll um, have to, to consider throughout the next few moments. But the focus of our teaching this morning is that we can walk in the light of fellowship with God as we adopt the lifestyle choices to which God directs us. We can walk in that light. It's not an impossibility. It's not something that's beyond the, the realm of what we can accomplish. Will you pray with me? Father, I just, uh, uh, again... Uh, ask that you would open my eyes and that you would minister in my heart. Lord, I, I know the struggle of this world. I know the struggle of this life and the temptation of this world. And, and Lord, the, the uh, efforts that Satan, even today, the efforts that Satan has made to distract and to, to uh, pull the attention away from you. And I pray, Father, over these next few moments that in honesty, and integrity that we will open our, our uh, hearts to receive and hear the truth of this message. I pray in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen. The hope of this truth this morning is in knowing that walking in the light involves living in fellowship with the Father. That's where it starts. It begins with living in fellowship with the Father. Look at verse 5 with me again. This is a message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. These verses provide a, kind of a litmus test, if you will. Kind of this, this uh, test of uh, an evaluation of our relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. The declaration is clear. If we say that we are walking in this relationship, if we claim to be Christ's followers, there will be some discernible and measurable evidence that affirms this is truth. There will be something that others can look at and say, I see the light of Christ in them. So the first step in understanding this evidence is to identify the measuring stick. What is it that, that he's calling us to? What does that light look like? And that's the reality 
of who God is. Throughout Scripture, God is defined as light. In the Old Testament, that light was often in the form of, of fire. Remember the burning bush that uh, called Moses to free the children of Israel. And then once they were in the desert, that pillar of fire that was the presence of God. There's a lot of references in the Old Testament to God being light. And then when you move into the New Testament, Jesus is called the light of life. And that once again, you have that picture of God being light. And to understand the importance of this imagery, we need to understand the qualities of light. Light represents purity. Light represents safety. Light represents a, that overpowering of darkness. And we'll talk about why that's important in just a moment. But if you're walking through a forest and there's roots and there's all kinds of debris and things that, that's going to make you stumble, you're going to be much safer if you do that in the daylight. Trying to do that in the dark, you, you, you stumble and you fall. And that's the, the picture of the importance of light. And the other uh, comment that I make that I, I want to go back to is that, that light is always victorious over darkness. It always dispels darkness. There's a, a tunnel in uh, the city of David in Jerusalem. <clears throat> when uh, we were in Israel, we were allowed to walk through Hezekiah's tunnel. And uh, this is about 1,750 feet long, and, and uh, at its narrowest, it's, you kind of rub your shoulders, and there's a waist-high water. It's a waterway that Hezekiah built to get water into the city when uh, his city was under siege. And it's still functioning today. There's still water flowing through it. And, but they allow us to walk through that. And about halfway through, we all had headlamps uh, on, and about halfway through, they, they had us all turn off the headlamps. And if you've ever been in that situation and understand total darkness. You know the, the feeling that comes with that. And they left those lights off a little longer than I really wished they had. And that feeling of uncomfortableness came. And then way up ahead, our, our guide uh, flicked on his light. And immediately, every eye went to that light. And it didn't illuminate the whole path. It didn't show us everything that was in that tunnel, but, but it gave us something to focus on. And it immediately appeared because light always dispels darkness. And that's important for us to understand as we apply what uh, John is saying here because the light of Christ dispels the darkness of Satan. As much as, as God is represented by light in Scripture, Satan is always represented by darkness. He's always represented by the absence of light. And so we, we work on that level of hope that the light of Christ always, always, always dispels the darkness of Satan. So the truth then is clear. If we say that we're in fellowship with God through Jesus, then we should exemplify the character of God. We should shine that light so that we dispel the darkness of this world. We should be evident. People should be able to see that light because it is so dark around us. And so the analogy of light is so, so important for us to understand this morning. We must shine with the purity of God's light and be ones that reveal and eliminate darkness that comes with sin. Fellowship with God allows his light to permeate our being. By the way, I want to be very, very clear this morning. This is not about us working hard to somehow impress God. It's not trying to show God just how good we can be so that we somehow earn a little more of his favor. 
but instead our relationship with Jesus opens the door for his righteousness to be seen in us. And again, not for our own glory or our own uh, raising or elevating who we are, but so that others in this dark world sees something different. They see a light that's attractive. Their eyes will go to it. And that's a, a, a beautiful opportunity that God has given us as his church. So this makes the truth of verse 6, I believe, very, very clear. If we're not reflecting the light of God's holiness in our daily lives, then we're deceiving ourselves. If we say that we're Christ followers, but yet the world doesn't see anything different, if we say that we're Christ followers, but, but that light isn't shining and that light that's represented by the holiness of Christ, if that light is not shining, God's Holy Spirit says through the pen of John that, that we're not being honest. We're deceiving ourselves. John puts it this way, the truth is not in us. Literally, that is translated, we do not do the truth. We do not do the truth. Verse 7 gives us an answer to this problem. To truly be people who have the light of God reflected outward to others, we need to have the blood of Christ covering our darkness, that darkness of sin. That's where it begins. That's where it starts. Accepting Jesus as Savior is that light switch. It turns on that light. The result of this decision in our life to be free, to allow the light of Jesus to shine in us is that we can have true fellowship. That's what he offers to us. That, that as we uh, get rid of those things that hide the truth of who Jesus is, our relationship with God blossoms. And it opens up uh, opportunities for us to have a closer fellowship with him. We're going to unpack that more in just a few moments. This fellowship, this close bond of, of sharing something very special in common is not just with, jo uh, with God, but it's with each other as well. See, God is not calling us to somehow appear more holy than others He's not looking or asking us to, to look better than the next guy so that we're qualified to have fellowship with him. That's not the message at all. Instead, he's reminding us that he has been the one to purify us through the blood of Jesus. When we receive that gift of salvation and become a new creation, the have to, the necessity to sin is taken away. It's gone. It's removed. Doesn't mean we won't sin. He's very clear here. But the have to, before Christ, we have no option. The sin nature is overpowering, and so we're going to sin. But after coming into relationship with Christ, that, that I must sin or that have to of sin is taken away. We're not made outwardly perfect, but we're transformed from someone under the curse of sin that had no choice but to act on that sin nature to someone who is free to live lives that reflect the light, and the holiness of God. When verse 7 states that the blood of Jesus purifies us from sin, it's not speaking only of the, the wonderful forgiveness that comes to us, but it's a removal of the defilement of sin as well. The curse of sin, the, the result of sin, it, it's taken away. We're now free not to sin. Our ability to make the right choice and to want to make the right choice is the evidence, John says, that the blood of Jesus has done its work in our life. But we still live in a sinful world. 
and we still have a, a sin nature, and we still do battle with Satan. And we still have that, that free will to choose. And sometimes, sometimes, even as Christ followers, we make the wrong choices. And this is what this next section is for us, as we discover that walking in the light involves living in the freedom of forgiveness. We live in the freedom of forgiveness. Look at verse 8 of chapter 1 with me. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the anointing sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. God is acutely aware of the human condition. I want to say that again. God is acutely aware of the human condition. Satan is powerful and will continue to tempt us to sin. And his desire is to destroy our fellowship with the Father that we discussed just a few moments ago. God said from the beginning that, that we would have a continual battle with Satan. Remember, at, at the moment man fell, God said in, in Genesis chapter 3 that, that this Satan, this, this serpent, even though eventually Jesus will crush his head, this serpent's going to nip at our heel in Genesis 3. What's that mean? It's going to be that pest. He's going to be that one that continually is trying to cause us harm. And how does he best cause us harm? But, but to get us to move away from the light of Christ, to get us to, to darken our lives a little bit so that we don't shine quite as brightly Paul even said in his own life. I mean, the, the Apostle Paul that had this miraculous salvation experience and, and went on to uh, see all of these people come to Christ through his missionary journeys and wrote most of the New Testament. And, and in Romans chapter 7, there's a, this long litany that basically can be summarized by him saying, you know, when I, I don't do what I want to do, but I do do what I don't want to do. I struggle. There's this constant battle in my life, and God recognizes that. So he says to us, when you don't perfectly demonstrate that light, when we, we, we don't have all of that, that uh, brightness because of sin, it impacts our fellowship. You remember, and, and we've talked about this often, the first thing Adam and Eve did when they, when they sinned, they hid from God. God came to the garden to, to walk with them like he did every day, and he, he said, where are you guys? Well, they were hiding. Why? Because they were ashamed. That's what sin does. And so it doesn't break our relationship with God the Father. We we're covered by the blood of Christ. But the sin breaks the fellowship, that, that ability to have that, that intimacy with him. If you have a, an argument with someone, a spouse or a child or, 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 or neighbor, if you have an argument, until that's patched up, it, you don't want to be around them sometimes. And sometimes that's embarrassment, sometimes it's anger, but you just want to hide, and that's what God doesn't want to have happen. He wants that intimacy with us. He wants that closeness with us. And so he says that the, the sin that breaks that fellowship needs to be dealt with. And he gives us the solution. 
As Christ followers, this is some of the best advice and the greatest promise we have in God's word. I want you to look at the progression that he gives us in these verses. Recognize the enemy is attacking and that we are vulnerable. If you say that you have not sinned, you're a liar. Satan's out there. What's he saying? He's saying that you need to recognize that you're vulnerable. I once had a, a, a friend in ministry, and we had served in, in different uh, capacities together over the years, and, and uh, unfortunately it was discovered that, that he had had a moral lapse, a moral failure. And uh, because of our relationship, and, and I was asked to be on a, a restoration committee, on a group that would meet with him regularly and just work through the, the marriage issues that it caused and work through the spiritual issues and, and try to restore him, not only spiritually, but uh, eventually restore him to ministry. And as we would meet, one of the things that he said to me over and over and over again, he said, Mike, I never thought it could happen to me. I never thought it could happen to me. What's he saying? I let my guard down. I let my guard down. I was so confident that that, that type of sin and that devastation of sin wouldn't get into my life. I let my guard down. Satan's most fertile ground, listen. Satan's most fertile ground for attack is ground that is unguarded. Ground that is unprotected. And God says, be aware. Don't, don't just brush off the possibility that Satan might get a hold of you in some area. Don't just say that, that, that I'm strong and I have this good relationship with God, so I, I don't fear that, that I could ever do anything that would disappoint God and, and dim that light. Satan loves unprotected ground. It allows him to get in and get established before we're even aware that he's around. This warning from John is simply to understand the enemy and our own vulnerability. As we do this evaluation and recognize that sin has gotten in and that it's impacting our ability to shine God's light and it's interrupting that, that fellowship, that closeness with God, verse 9 gives us a wonderful, wonderful solution. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sin and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's written to believers. When we come to that point of saying, you know what, I, I, I've let God down. There's something I've allowed to, to slip into my life that's a disappointment to God. And it's, it's put that, that fellowship, that closeness with God in jeopardy. Our part is to confess. Confession simply means that I agree with God that that's in, inappropriate. It's, God, I, I recognize that what I've done is wrong, and I, I want you to fix it. That's our part. That's all there is. If we confess our sin, he, it moves now to, to his responsibility. He is faithful and just. Those are the characteristics of God. And he forgives that sin, and he cleanses that sin. What's that mean? Forgiveness involves forgetting. With God, it, it means that that sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. It's buried in the deepest sea, never to be remembered again. It's not something that God's going to say, you know, Mike, remember when you, you did such and such? No, it's gone. It's, it's gone. He can't bring it up again. But he goes beyond that. And that cleansing, that's a purification. And that means it makes it as if that never even happened. 
That never even happened. When I confess that sin, he's faithful and just. He takes that sin away, and then he, he smooths it over in his mind as if it never happened. What's the value of that? I don't have to live in guilt. I don't have to live in shame. Because that sin is cleansed, it's purified, it restores me to that perfect relationship, that perfect fellowship with God the Father. Allowing God to do this work in our lives opens the door for His light to shine clearly through us and for our walk with Him, that fellowship, to be clear and clean. That's the reason at times, of, if you wonder why you don't feel close with God, I get that question sometimes. Pastor, I just don't feel right now like, like I have a real close relationship with God. The place to start every single time is to ask the question, is there unconfessed sin? And it may take some reflection. It may take some, some looking inward and see if, if we've allowed maybe an attitude to creep in. If we've allowed maybe some anger to creep in, if there's some fear in there that, that isn't confessed, if there's something that Satan has gotten a foothold. When we do, we open the door back up. When we confess that, when we allow God to take that from us, we open that door back up. And that fellowship is restored. Obviously, God's perfect desire is that we would not get tripped up with sin in our lives. However, he knows the tricks of Satan and the vulnerability of the human condition. But to his glory and to our benefit, this is what the blood of Jesus is for. We ask for forgiveness. It's granted. Fellowship is restored, and we go on. If, I, if I'm driving from my home in Ossian and, and I'm on Norwell Road, and I get about halfway down and I blow out a tire. I don't drive my car all the way back home to change that tire. I change it and I get on with my journey. That's the picture here. Yeah, we've had that, that problem, that, that flat in our life, if you will. But we fix it. And because of God's forgiveness and his cleansing, we just move on. And we do that, having that relationship restored. So we've seen the goal, the holiness of the light of God shining through us. We have addressed the problem and discovered the solution confessing that sin and allowing God's grace to purify us. Now John gives us some insight as to how we can keep from falling into sin in the first place, how we can keep from that, that trap of Satan springing on our lives. He teaches us that walking in the light involves living in obedience to the word. We're called to live in obedience to the word. Look at verse 3. We know that we have come to know, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but he does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is a message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. See, God's spirit is, is maybe a little gentler than I'm going to be here this morning. But basically, what he is saying here is this. This ain't rocket science. This ain't rocket science. All the tools that we need to avoid the process of 
falling into sin and needing to, to ask for forgiveness are already in our toolbox. They already exist. When John states that this is an old command and, and then declares that it's a new command, he's not confused. What's he saying? He's saying this has been God's intent from the beginning. In the Old Testament, there was the law. God called for the obedience to the law. That is the old command. When Jesus came, it didn't change the need to be obedient, but he added something. The reason it's a new command is that God added something. He added the power of his Holy Spirit. He added the, the, the indwelling of his Spirit. When we come into relationship with Christ, we now have that, that one that nudges us a little bit. That as we're walking on that path that maybe is a little darker than it should be, he, he, he kind of gives us that hint that we need to turn around. And when we do stumble, when we do fall for, for the tricks of Satan, the Holy Spirit is right there to, to let us know. We call it conviction. That's the new command. That's the, the new way that God allows us to live that life of purity. Obeying the truth of God's word is a surefire method of being free from sin. People want help with the difficulty that life's throwing at them. And, and we talked about this a moment ago. People want to have that closeness. They want to uh, just have some, some peace in life. And God's given us the answer. But see, it's, it's, it's a problem if we don't use the answer. It's like someone that, that is ill but they refuse to go to the doctor, but yet complain because they're sick. Or if they do go to the doctor, they, they get the prescription, but they don't take the medication. And then they complain that they're, they're not getting better. We have the doctor. We have the medication. We can do this, and we can do it with grace and with peace. How? By simply spending time, not only knowing the word, but doing the word. The Bible's not only the cure, it's a preventive medicine as well. It's God's gift to us. It's his gift to us. The word became flesh, God with us. He sent his Holy Spirit, God in us. And then he gave us the written word, God describing himself to us. The true light is already shining. We just need to live in it. So John finishes this section with one last hint for walking in the light of God that makes our fellowship complete. Walking in the light involves living with love for others. It involves living with love for others. Look at verse 9 with me. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Do you notice a pattern here? As we've been talking over these uh, last few moments, do you notice a pattern? John has been very, very consistent and very clear that doing things God's way, choosing to do things God's way, brings results that are positive. Doing things our way, avoiding those things that God instructs us in, brings disaster. He has been very clear that pretending to do it God's way, if we say that we have not sinned, if we pretend that we're doing it God's way, that's also problematic. 
that's also going to continue to lead us away from the light. This final truth is not only the most practical, but also probably the most challenging. We can only walk in the light of Christ if we choose to show love to others. Not just say we love people, but to demonstrate that through our actions. Love is a, a verb, it's an action word. Showing the, the love of Christ is a way of showing the light of Christ in the lives of others. This is a theme throughout scripture. They'll know that we are children of God. They'll know that we are Christians, how? By our love. To keep our relationship with God open, our fellowship with him complete, we must allow him to love others through us. When we choose to block that flow of God's love because of bitterness or because of, of hurt feelings or because of anger or, or jealousy or pride or you fill in the blanks there, God is not able to shine his light through us and we therefore are walking in darkness. See, God has given us an opportunity to experience abundant life as we walk with him. The extent to which we can appreciate and enjoy this life is greatly dependent on our own willingness to reach out and to take it. This has nothing to do with earning God's favor through our actions or, or somehow securing our place in heaven through works. In fact, it's just the opposite. God is saying to us this morning that he has already paved that road to heaven with his mercy. He's already paved that road to heaven by providing his grace, and he's asking us to walk it with him in safety. The best way to do this is with our eyes wide open to see where the stumbling blocks are, where those pitfalls might be to walk in light for our own good. As we put away the darkness that sin causes in our lives, and we invite the light of, of God's direction to overwhelm our journey, we'll not only arrive safely in his arms, but we'll experience his complete joy in this life as well. We have a choice. Will you stand with me? Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the power and the authority that we can enjoy through your word. I thank you, Father, for the uh, specific and truthful expressions of your word. And Lord, in your word, you give us clear direction on how we can avoid those pitfalls and those struggles of the darkness of sin. I pray, Father, for the body of Christ at Murray. I pray for me that your protection and your care would, would just rest on us. Lord, if there are those this morning that, uh, as we've been talking, have, have struggled with uh, knowing that there's unconfessed sin, knowing that there's things that, that are blocking that light and that fellowship from being genuine and true, I pray that by the power of your Spirit that you would convict them of that. Make it very clear. With our eyes closed and, and our heads bowed this morning, I, I just ask each of us, Everyone, if you would just pray this simple prayer, God, if there's something in my life that's blocking your light, if there's something in my life that's dark, because Satan has gotten a, a little bit of a foothold, would you reveal that to me this morning? Just pray that and then be silent before God and listen and see what he says.
God has revealed that, then just take a moment and, and in a simple prayer of faith, say, God, I know that that's displeasing to you and I want it out of my life. I confess it to you today. I ask for your forgiveness. If you pray that prayer genuinely, that sin is gone. That fellowship is restored. And it's in God's eyes as if it never, ever happened. You say, Pastor Mike, I, I prayed that prayer this morning. And I trust God to, to uh, help me from this point forward to live in that light as he is light. And I just would like you to, to be praying with me that God will keep me from stumbling and falling and, and giving in to Satan's attack. If you prayed that prayer this morning, just raise your hand where you're at. Thank you. Thank you. Others, thank you. Others, thank you. God, you've done some good things today, and I praise you for it. Lord, just solidifying the lives of these people, the, the decision that they made this morning to walk as people of light. Send us from this place rejoicing that we can be your church. Pray that in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Go in peace, says the Lord.